Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I'm just trying to do my part, okay? Kind of like Vision, I'm going on a mostly solo journey of discovery this week as I discuss WandaVision Episode 6, All New Halloween Spooktacular. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Today on the podcast, it's just me, your host, TK, Tara, just me. My schedule was a little different this week due to some personal stuff, so I'm recording solo, but don't worry, I have some fun guests, old and new, lined up for the rest of the season. And throughout the episode, I'll also share some ideas, uh, comments, questions, things like that that friends have texted me since Friday night's episode of WandaVision premiered. So today, I'll be talking about episode six of WandaVision, the delightfully titled all-new Halloween Spooktacular. As always, first, my broad thoughts and initial reactions. This one was quite the roller coaster. At some moments, I found myself having some of the most fun I've had watching the show since the season began, and at other moments, particularly that scene toward the end, I was the most tense I've ever been watching this show. I always rewatch the episodes multiple times during the week, but with this one, as soon as it was over, I went back and restarted it. I think it may be my favorite episode so far. Could be I just love a Halloween special. Or it could be the fact that this show just continues to add layer upon layer of world building, all while brilliantly capturing the mood, humor, music, and fashions of the decade that Westview finds itself in each week. There weren't too many questions answered in this week's episode, although we did definitively learn that director Hayward is a, a terrorist. No, but unlike other viewers, I took him at pretty much face value when he was first introduced in episode four. Then last week, of course, he showed that he's not to be trusted. But this week, he firmly cemented himself in my mind, not just as an antagonist, but a straight-up villain. I won't be surprised if we continue to find out that he's hiding even more and more information, that particularly there's something going on with him and Vision, and or he is somehow connected with the main villain of the show. Fitting somewhat into the column of questions answered, we do have the fact that Wanda pretty much gives an admission to having created this reality when she tells Pietro, I don't know how I did it. More on that scene later. Another somewhat reveal that we get in this episode is a glimpse at what life is like on the outskirts of the town. So all along, we've been wondering, what are the people of Westview doing when Wanda isn't around, when they're not clearly trying to play the roles that she has cast them in, or she or whoever else, as we've been discussing, but they all seem to think that she's wielding some power. We get more and more evidence of that. So when they're not with her, and not being either controlled by her or, or acting in the way they think they need to act, what's up with them? So in this episode, we do get a glimpse that it's uh, pretty bad on the outskirts of town as Vision is walking through. As he gets further and further away from the center of the town, the people seem to be, have less control. Um, we get the really creepy image of the woman who is trying to hang the skeleton decoration and she just keeps making the same hand movement over and over again, and the one single tear falling down her face. It's really, really eerie. And then, of course, as he gets to the edges of town, people aren't moving or speaking whatsoever. So, of course, more questions raised there as well, but it was certainly uh, an expansion of what we've seen of Westview so far. 
Of course, like every episode of WandaVision, this one also leaves us new puzzles to solve. Going through the series has almost felt like an escape room of sorts. Little bits of information at a time, just enough to get you into the next more complicated room. Clues and misdirects galore. I definitely ask this question every week, but what's going on with Agnes? We've seen evidence to suggest that she has had more awareness and autonomy than other Westview residents. What was she doing in her car right at the border of Ellis Avenue? Why was she still able to interact in her near lifeless state while the other residents at the outskirts of town were entirely still and mute? Her witch costume is presumably a nod to the character Agatha Harkness from the comics, on whom most fans assume she's based. But when will we get a definitive answer of whose side she's on and how much she knows? At the end of last week, we saw that long-lost bro Pietro came to town, but as Darcy says in this episode, he brought the wrong face. Evan Peters shines in the role of wacky brother-slash-uncle, but what's up with him? Is this Wanda's Pietro somehow back from the dead? Is this X-Men universe Peter Maximoff molded to fit Westview's reality circa the year 2000? Or is this someone else altogether using the guise of Pietro to get information out of Wanda and or get close to her kids? I hope it's one of the first two, because I am here for obnoxious but well-meaning Pietro, but there are moments in this episode that make me feel like that may be wishful thinking on my part, and I'll talk more about Pietro later. Finally, that cliffhanger. What exactly was happening to Vision when he was trying to get out of the hex? What's his status now? What will be the repercussions of Wanda's unprecedented surge of power and the expansion of the hex? Assuming Monica and Jimmy safely made it away in time... Are they going to be interacting with director Hayward again now? And of course, what can we expect from Darcy while she's living all of our dream of joining the cast of a show that she watches? And speaking of the love for TV, of course, I want to talk about this week's format style and nods and tropes. Structurally, this episode is similar to last week's as we go in and out of late 90s, early aughts Westview and the current timeline of the SWORD headquarters. The clear inspiration for this week's show within the show is Malcolm in the Middle, which premiered in 2000 and featured Malcolm speaking directly to the camera, fast camera cuts, cool sound effects, unique camera angles, all of which we see here. This is also our first WandaVision sitcom to not feature a laugh track, which became more and more rare once shows like Malcolm in the Middle premiered and expanded the notions of what a sitcom could be. I was talking with a friend of the podcast, Colleen, and we were saying that we wouldn't have necessarily... Uh, thought of Malcolm in the Middle as the go-to for a late 90s type of show, but it made a lot of sense. It was a family sitcom, and of course, this is the episode where we're getting more Billy and Tommy and, of course, seeing their powers develop. On the movie theater marquee, we see two movies that came out six years apart, The Parent Trap from 1998 and The Incredibles from 2004. So that situates us not in a distinct year, but generally around the turn of the 21st century, which having been a kid at that time. This really hit a lot of the notes for me that I remember from shows and commercials at this time. Even the little bit with Wanda and Vision saying things like, me gusta, chili con carne, felt very much of like 1999 when Yo Quiero Taco Bell was everywhere. It was very silly. Pietro's character is the quintessential wacky sitcom dude with his antics, and he also reminded me a lot of Eric Matthews from Boy Meets World at moments. I love when Tommy corrected him about his name, and he said, and don't you forget it. Again, very of that time. The lyrics to this week's show within a show theme song are also revelatory. I'm going to actually just read them all now. Starts with Wanda, WandaVision, because of course we always get the title of the show in the theme song, which is fantastic. 
And then it says, don't try to fight the chaos. Don't question what you've done. The game can try to play us. Don't let it stop the fun. Some days it's all confusion. Easy come and easy go. But if it's all illusion, sit back, enjoy the show. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Throughout each distorted day, let's keep it going. Though there may be no way of knowing who is coming to play. Definitely the eeriest of the lyrics so far. Especially think the lines, don't try to fight the chaos, don't question what you've done, connect a lot to what we see Wanda going through in this episode. We know at this point that she's responsible, at least in part, for what's going on here in Westview. And the conversation she has with Pietro later on, in which she says to him, you don't think it's wrong? It kind of connects to this idea of of maybe part of her subconscious or her conscious telling her, you know, don't question it, just let it go, don't fight the chaos. In a way, it also seems like a bit of a message to fans. <laughs> Some days it's all confusion, don't let it stop the fun, and of course, if it's all illusion, sit back, enjoy the show. Works on multiple levels. I've been saying for weeks that this show is doing such a good job of that meta conversation about escaping into television and the viewers are doing that as they're watching Wanda doing that. And it's really satisfying. Of course, also, if it's all illusion, a term related to magic, the term we see Vision call himself back in episode two, good stuff. And man, this week's commercial, again, definitely gave me flashbacks to some of those weirdly morbid claymation commercials that were popular in the late 90s, early 2000s. We see this little cartoon boy sitting on an island by himself and the shark come up and give him some yo magic, which reminded me of Gogurt, I guess. And, you know, the child is very hungry, but the ironic thing is that he can't open the yo magic yogurt container. And we see the day turn to night and seasons change and the little character go from alive to varying states of decay and corpse. And the tagline for the product is Yo Magic, the snack for survivors. So this is an interesting one. Again, the claymation style fits the sitcom homage of this week, but notably it doesn't include either of the actors that we've seen in the previous commercials. It makes sense that this one seemed more kind of geared toward kids as we get more of the kid perspective, but making sense of this commercial was kind of challenging. So, of course, magic being in the title of the product makes me think of Wanda. And as we see in this episode, too, Billy is using magic like his mom. The snack for survivors, I immediately thought of the survivors of the snap. But as we know, Wanda didn't survive that. However, we can say that Wanda is a survivor. We've talked before about all of the trauma that she's gone through in her life. She and her brother were survivors of the destruction that killed her parents. She survived in Age of Ultron. She survived throughout the rest of the films in the MCU. She survived when her brother didn't. She survived when Vision didn't. And then, of course, yes, she was snapped, but she came back. Thinking about who the little character sitting on the island could really represent, is it Wanda? I was talking with friend of the podcast, Rachel, and she was saying maybe that could represent her brother or Vision, uh, and the idea that she wasn't fast enough to help either of them, just like the kid isn't able to 
open the yogurt. He's moving too slowly. I thought that was an interesting idea as well. And just the imagery of it really reminds me of the conversation we had last week about lack of control and the the irony of the situation. We have this little character sitting there and has the food in his hand, but just can't seem to open it, can't control it. And that kind of feels like that's what's going on for Wanda in this episode. So this idea of control has emerged as a big theme, much in the same way that pain and grief and paranoia and fear and trauma have. And we've discussed all of those at different moments throughout the podcast. My other favorite motif has been that of actors and acting and the quote from Vision in episode three, All the World's a Stage. I've talked about it every week since, but each week we get more connections to that quote. Herb's conversation with Wanda while he's on duty watching the kids. And he says, is there something I can do for you, Wanda? Do you want something changed? Very much feels like the language of being on a movie set. There's also the moment even before that when Wanda says to Vision, no, that's not what you're supposed to. And then she kind of covers it. That tension between the two of them there at the beginning of this episode, even though he's trying to crack jokes about his costume and this and that. Clearly that tension is still there. It's so creepy when he says, there were no other clothes in my closet. So, And he clearly just looks so angry before the music changes and he cracks a joke. And then of course, the other line that alludes to this idea of all the world's a stage most directly is when Pietro says to Wanda, I'm just trying to do my part, okay? And he explains that he's in the role of the wacky uncle, he's there to stir up trouble with the kids and give her grief. And he says to her, that's what you wanted, isn't it? So I want to go through and talk about some of the big character moments from this episode. I'm not going to be able to touch on every single thing, but I do want to talk about some favorite standout moments and or new information that we're learning about our main characters. I'll start with Wanda. First of all, she looks amazing in her Sokovian fortune teller costume. Of course, a nod to her character's classic costume in the comics. And when Pietro cracks some jokes about the costumes that they had to wear as kids, she says, that's not how I remember it. And he just goes, you probably suppressed a lot of the trauma. Pietro is here making direct references to what we as viewers have come to believe is going on with Wanda. At this point, we are all pretty confident that she's gone through this trauma and that she's sort of subconsciously created this world. Maybe not everybody's in agreement about that, but that seems to be what the show has suggested up to this point. Don't think we can necessarily take that at face value. So the fact that Pietro is always kind of saying the right things in a suspicious way makes me feel like we can't take him at face value either. We clearly see that Wanda is trying to get back to that sense of normality that she was reveling in in the 1950s and 1960s episode when she says when she says to Pietro and Tommy, just remember this is a respectable family. It definitely sounds like a line that she would have said back in those first couple episodes when she was trying to fit in and make a good impression on the people of the town. It's notable that she doesn't necessarily seem to entirely trust Pietro either. She asks him about a memory at the orphanage and he says, you're testing me. I know I look different. And she asks, why do you look different? And he says, you tell me. 
If I found Shangri-La, I wouldn't want to be reminded of the past either. So again, a lot of what we're getting from Wanda here, information that we're learning about her is coming from her reactions to Pietro. So looking to her facial expressions and the way that she questions him and responds to him is really interesting in this one. Again, he's kind of saying all of the things that we've come to understand as viewers at this point, right? This is her Shangri-La. She's trying to escape the past. Talking about Wanda in this episode, you have to talk about Pietro because a lot of her standout scenes are also ones with him. Like when she asks him, what happened to your accent? And then he says, what happened to yours? She has no response. He talks about the details being fuzzy, getting shot, and then hearing her calling and says, I knew you needed me. Again, I'm kind of here for his character being this kind of wacky, obnoxious dude, but also being a sweet brother and wanting to be there for her and talking to her. But the more I think about it, the less I think that's what's going to happen. I just kind of wanted to see that. Because, you know, they have this sweet moment where he talks about Westview, New Jersey being charming, how mom and dad would have loved it. And that seems to make her happy to consider that thought. But then that kind of sweet conversation shifts into, it sounds like he's almost grilling her for information. Where are you hiding all these kids up till now? And then, oh yeah, no need to traumatize beyond the occasional holiday episode cameo, right? And she kind of protests and doesn't even really seem to understand what he's getting at. And it's interesting, you know, again, also, he's kind of speaking for us, although in a very harsh way, but we've also been wondering what's going on with the kids. Why were there no kids? Interestingly, at the end of last episode, Vision says to Wanda, Wanda, why are there no other kids in Westview? And then this episode, here they are out on the streets trick-or-treating. And then Pietro talks about the ethics of the situation and how, yeah, you you families and couples were able to stay together and, and people's personalities are mostly similar. People got better jobs and so on. And she just looks at him and says, you don't think it's wrong? And he says he's impressed. And how did you even do all this? And that's when she says, I don't know how I did it. I only remember feeling completely alone empty. I just, endless nothingness. And then she looks over at him and doesn't see him as he is alive and well and goofing around, but but as, you know, kind of similar to how she sees Vision back in episode four, she sees his body with all of the bullet holes that Pietro got in Age of Ultron. And as I said before, this sounds like a bit of an admission that she doesn't know how she did it, but she is saying she did it. So either we now know this for sure, that she is responsible or somewhat responsible, or she's been made to think that she is. This idea of feeling completely alone and empty, endless nothingness, again, reminds me of that image of that little claymation character on the island in the commercial. I have to imagine that she's talking about not just the loss of her brother and vision and the events of Infinity War and Endgame, but maybe that's how she experienced the snap. I referenced in an earlier episode of the podcast that I think the emphasis that they put on Monica's experience of coming back from the snap leaves the door open to circle back and talk about what that experience was like for other characters who came back from the snap, how they felt. And with Wanda, we we don't really know yet. We don't know. It seems like for most people, they were snapped away and they woke up and they had no sense of what happened in between until afterward. But maybe she felt that emptiness and that nothingness as she was snapped away. Who knows? It, it's possible. It, it reminds me of a vampire. I'm thinking about Angel on the TV show. Angel gets stuck at the bottom of the ocean in, in a 
coffin and he can't die, but he's entirely paralyzed and, and just has to experience the nothingness of it all. Maybe that's what it was like for her. One last Wanda and Pietro moment, of course, we need to talk about is when Pietro says, don't sweat it, sis. It's not like your dead husband can die twice. And she does not respond well to that and just uses her magic to knock him into some hay bales, which again, love Pietro, but he kind of deserved that. And then, of course, as I already mentioned, there are going to be big repercussions for the amount of power she uses at the end of this episode once Billy tells her that Vision is in trouble and she expands the hex. And I can't wait to see that. On to Vision himself. As I mentioned, he comes down the stairs in his Halloween costume, and clearly the tension from last episode is still there. We can't ignore just how mad, just how upset, betrayed, and hurt, and fearful he felt at the end of last episode, but he's doing the right things to put on the happy face and act like the typical year 2000 sitcom dad. Again, Paul Bettany plays it so well when he looks at Pietro and the kids and is commenting on how they're behaving. He very much fits the role. He tells Wanda that he is going to be participating in the neighborhood watch, but we find out that that's not what he's doing. So we know that she is not controlling his every action, even though she says that, no, that's not what you're supposed to, you know, she kind of covers it. Um, clearly, she doesn't want to create more tension with him as well. He leaves. He says, Wanda, be good, which is interesting. And his journey this episode takes him throughout town. It's through him that we are able to see, ha, huh, vision, more of the experiences of the people in the town. I love as he's walking, the, the, the score it has been amazing throughout this show. Christoph Beck, who did music for the Frozen movies, as well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer and others, his score is incredible. Um, I really love the music in this episode. You hear the peppy background music, and then it shifts into this more spooky tone as he is watching the people on the outskirts of town. After he tries talking to someone and she completely is still and doesn't answer, he puts on his real face and suit and he flies above the town. As Rachel pointed out, though, the colors of his suit look a bit more muted than when last we saw him in the MCU and wondered if perhaps that was some suggestion about his not being quite fully who he was or even fully alive status. Um, again, it's through vision that we learn, that we see more information. This aerial view of the town, we can see that the children are laughing and trick-or-treating toward the center of town where Wanda is. And as you get further and further away from, from the nucleus of the town, you see that things are still and lights are flickering and it's not alive. Of course, then he interacts with Agnes. He flies to a stop sign at the edge of town with a parked car. Agnes is frozen in place. But unlike the others, she does answer him, says that she's looking for the town square scare. She laughs without emotion, says that she got lost. He's confused. He says, you're lost in the town you grew up in. And then he touches her to snap her out of it, like we saw him do with Norm last episode. And she says, you're one of the Avengers, your vision. Are you here to help us? And he says, I am Vision. I do want to help. But what's an Avenger? A great little moment, funny and sad at the same time. And, you know, we know that Vision doesn't have memories of who he was before Westview. She then asks if she's dead. And he says, you know, why would you ask that? Because you are. And he's, because I'm what? And gosh, Agnes is so creepy when she says dead, 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 and gets louder and louder. He lets her know that he's 
trying to reach those outside of Westview and make sense of their situation. And she says, no one leaves. Wanda won't even let us think about it. All is lost. And then she cackles like the witch she's dressed as. He touches her again, and then she's back to her typical Agnes self and turns the car around. As I mentioned before, a lot of questions about what's going on with Agnes here. But also, I mean, imagine being Vision in this moment and hearing that you're dead. Wow. So, of course, it makes total sense that he's going to plow right past Ellis Avenue, which we have heard Wanda say is where the kids aren't allowed to go past. And he walks toward the grass, and and it seems like he doesn't know exactly what he's going to find past there, but he's determined to find something. Vision is really wonderful. He's walking through the hex barrier, attempting to get outside. And, you know, Director Hayward, the jerk that he is, oh, he really does want out, doesn't he? But Vision is saying, help. Not for himself, who is clearly being torn apart quite literally in this experience of trying to walk through the house, but he says the people need help. You know, Vision is is a hero. He's doing this because he wants to help people. It's not about him escaping. It's about wanting to help everyone else, as he tells Agnes. And as he's disintegrating and dying, it's awful to watch. We have seen Vision go through this type of pain so many times now. And it's so sad because he's so good and so wonderful. And even, you know, Darcy is here and and she's saying, why is no one helping him? And of course she would help, but she gets handcuffed to the truck. And it's just so awful and sad to see poor Vision. I also want to talk briefly about Billy and Tommy in this episode. I love these kids. The last episode, I'd say they weren't necessarily my favorite part. Whenever you introduce kids to a series, it could be hit or miss. But I loved the kids this episode. I loved that it opened on Billy narrating about Halloween. I love Billy. He's so cute. It's the same actor who played young Luke in The Haunting of Hill House, which is one of my favorite shows. The Haunting Anthology is incredible. And this kid is is just so cute. And his costume is meant to look like Wiccan from the comics, the hero he grows into. And it's very adorable. Tommy, the quote-unquote cool twin, is someone who resonates a little bit less with me, but I liked him too, and it was very cool to see him admiring his uncle and then then developing his own super speed powers. Clearly, young Billy is going to be a, a very powerful force if at such a young age he can hear, he can hear people's thoughts, experiences, whatever it is in his head, um, hearing his dad screaming in pain, and he could see the soldiers and hear Hayward speaking. And that, I mean, just like with Wanda, I mean, to be able to experience that, not just your own pain, but other people's pain is really, really intense, especially for a kid. So I hope he's okay. He asks, what's happening to me? And uh, protect young Billy at all costs is what I have to say. Now, outside the hex, I already spoke a little bit about learning more about how awful director Hayward is. Monica, we get a little bit more from her. As we've sort of been guessing all along, she feels a connection to Wanda. She says in this episode, I know what Wanda is feeling. And she references um, her mom's cancer scans when Darcy is like, hey, if you go back in the hex, you know, it's changing you on a molecular level. But she's determined to go back in, and she doesn't care about that. She's lost her mom, and she knows the pain that Wanda is going through. So she's determined to be the hero and do what she needs to do as well. Also, the way director Hayward speaks to her about, like, it's a good thing you weren't there when your mother died. Wow, that's terrible. And, you know, obviously she's a strong person. She handled it well, but that what a horrific thing to say to someone. 
He also references her advocating on behalf of people with superpowered abilities in the past and references her history with Carol Danvers. Almost like it was a bad thing, like, oh, you're advocating for superpowered people. It almost reminded me more of the X-Men franchise where where mutants were seen as other in this negative sort of way. So I wonder if, again, we're going to get more of that here. Monica, Darcy, and Jimmy all continue to fight the good fight, hacking into Hayward's computers, figuring out that he's tracking vision with the aptly named cataract program. Um, Hayward must have an accurate headcount by now and some sense of their well-being, Jimmy says, about the people in town. But of course, he hadn't shared that information. So our hero characters here are getting that information on their own. And man, I can't wait to see what happens with Darcy inside the hex. On that note, I don't have a guest this week to ask about their theories or predictions, so I'll share a little bit about what I think or hope will happen next. At this point, fans are pretty safely assuming that the last three episodes will be about an hour each. My guess is that we won't get much more than the 20-ish minutes of the 2010s sitcom style, and the rest will take place outside of the hex. But as last week's guest Rachel and I were discussing, we kind of wish we could spend another week in the year 2000, picking up right at the moment this one left off. Maybe mostly because we want to see the sword agents as clowns a little longer. I also think or hope that we'll finally get some definitive answers on Agnes next episode so that we go into the last two of the season knowing her MO. I've eagerly been awaiting the return of Emma Caulfield as Dottie, who I hope we see next week. And I'm wondering if she will reemerge right around the time we find out who our main villain might be, and I wonder if they might be connected. She is the key to everything in this town, is something Agnes says earlier. Could be a complete misdirect, or that could come back full force. Also, shout out to Trey from MCU Need to Know, who is eagerly awaiting the return of Jones. On the MCU Need to Know Twitter page, Trey has made some really fun posts about his love for Jones, and we hope we see him back too. Finally, something's got to give with Wanda and Vision. This episode dealt with the aftermath of their climactic clash from the end of episode five, largely by separating them for most of the episode so that Vision could seek some answers. I think next week we'll see them brought back together by the frightening events at the conclusion of this one. And I expect some confessions and apologies from Wanda, perhaps needing to save Vision's life again. We don't know exactly what happened to him when he was reabsorbed into the hex. And... I'm hoping that we see Monica and Jimmy Woo do what they need to do to get Darcy out of the hex. I don't know if they're going to go in or at least if Monica will, but I'm really looking forward to see the lines between the hex and outside blur with more overlap of the characters in both places. Hello again, it's me a few hours later recording from a different device, so please forgive the change in quality. In interest of full transparency, I recorded the main part of this episode under a time constraint, so there are a few things that I forgot to mention that I wanted to make sure I got out there. First, it wasn't until after I recorded the main part of the episode that I read that it was in fact Riot Girl pioneer Kathleen Hanna of the bands Bikini Kill and La Tigra who sang this week's theme song. I've always been a big fan, so I'm a little ashamed of myself for not realizing that was her voice at first and assuming it was just an imitation of her style. Second, I mentioned the movie titles on the marquee earlier, but I neglected to say that I definitely think The Parent Trap and The Incredibles were chosen to represent the time period specifically, not just because they're both Disney properties, but also because of their content. The Parent Trap dealing with twins who are separated and later reunited, bringing to mind Wanda and Pietro, and 
who are trying to get their parents back together, which connects to Billy commenting upon the rift between his and Tommy's parents in this episode. And then, of course, The Incredibles, which is about a superpowered family who happens to have retired to the suburbs to have a normal life before being called back into action. Not to make too much out of this, but I appreciate the clever nod on behalf of the WandaVision team. Their attention to detail remains delightful. Finally, to follow up on the thought I had earlier about hoping the next episode would pick up right where this one left off, episode 6 is notably the first time that we haven't seen credits roll on our show within the show. I don't think this means my wish will necessarily come true, but I have to imagine this was an intentional decision. If you enjoyed my take on episode 6 of WandaVision, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each Thursday to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of WandaVision.